did. What was Grandpa like whenever you were my age? I don't know. He's like a dad. Did Grandpa make you listen to this terrible music? You mean, did he culture me? You bet he did. Did Grandpa get lost too? Sometimes, we're not lost. Recalculating route to your destination. You will arrive in approximately two days, three hours. What's your license insurance? Did uh, Grandpa have a lead foot too? Amen. Grandpa teach you to pray before every meal like that? Yeah. For every meal. Did Grandpa do that too? Yeah. Lollygagging. I'm not paying you guys to sit around and look at pictures. Chop, chop! My stuff's not gonna get to a condo on the golf course by itself. Has Grandpa always been so bossy? Always. Is he actually paying us? <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> you really are a lot like him, aren't you? question we are asking today. How long is your shadow? What kind of a legacy are you leaving behind you? And uh, on this Father's Day, while I'm going to be speaking um, mainly to, or a lot focused on fathers and thinking about that, really this is a bigger picture message because that question comes to all of us uh, no matter where you are in your age or spiritual journey. Um, asking the question, how are you impacting the people in your life? And so we're going to get real practical today from a passage here in Romans that Paul writes to us and gives us some real hard-hitting commands for us to follow. And so if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to uh, Romans chapter 12, <coughs> I would encourage you to do that. Romans 1 through 11 um, kind of paint God as this unconditional grace-giving Father. We see that in the gifts that He's poured out upon us and the love that He gives to us. And so Paul is writing about this in, in chapters 1 through 11. And then in verse 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, 
he kind of turns the, the corner and says, now if you truly believe this about God as your father, it's going to change and it's going to impact how you live your life. It's going to impact who you impact. It's going to change the direction of your love and how you give your love. And so he says, Let, let's get real practical. Let, let's talk about this and let, let's go over this. Uh, and so just as you're finding that, let me kind of have you focus on uh, just a little different question that will get us thinking about this idea of an impact and how we can do that. Um, I want you to think for a moment of a person in your life who has had a, a real positive impact on your life. Maybe they have helped shape you into who you are today. Maybe they have uh, really just made a difference and impacted you in your life. And so by show of hands, um, raise your hand if that person is a nationally famous person across the country. Okay, raise your hand if uh, that person uh, ever published a book, ever published a book. Raise your hand if that person is uh, ultra-rich, ultra-rich. Raise your hand if that person has a uh, doctorate or a PhD. PhD, doctorate, okay, couple. Raise your hand if that person showed you love. Yeah, all across the sanctuary. That's what does it, doesn't it? Now, nothing against, you know, having a PhD, being famous, or reading a book about a famous person that impacted you. But for the most part, we are impacted by people who show us, personally show us love. I've heard the saying that you can impress people from afar. Maybe it is through books. Maybe it's through being famous. But you impact them up close. You impact them with love. And if you want to do that and be that kind of person to someone else, you have to start out by doing it in a genuine and real way. And so we ask the question today, as Paul gets to this, how how do we do that? You begin by loving with the love God gives to you. You begin impacting them that with that, 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 that real personal love that Paul talks about here and now gives us a crash course on in verses 9 through 21 of Romans chapter 9. And and right before I read this, can I just say this about this as well? This is like the real life stuff this isn't just like, you know, go love the, the homeless man down the street or at the stop sign. Or this isn't the, you know, um, show love and continue to give that kind of love financially to uh, your child in Haiti or Ethiopia or wherever you maybe have sponsored a child and such. You know, those things are real good. But this kind of love is for the person who is in your family. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. It's for the real love, maybe for your spouse or for someone that you're dating. Or or it's real love for someone that's in your community group or your Sunday school group that really bugs you, right? Okay? We're talking about that kind of a person. We're talking about the person that you just, maybe even in this service, maybe even sitting beside them, really just don't get along with. We're talking about that kind of love, that realness in love that Paul is addressing here. And so Paul says, we really love those people. We do that in a way that the Father loves us. And so hear this. Practical advice from Paul, Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. Here's what Paul says. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor 
or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so Paul, again, gives us this crash course on displaying and showing these kind of love, this kind of love to others. And so you have your outline. If you will pull that out, there are so many points to bring into here, but I want to just narrow it down to a few. The first one I wrote is this. The very first verse there, nine, is to be genuine. In showing the love like a father loves you, like the father loves you, be genuine. It says, let love be genuine. In the NIV, it says, love must be sincere. Which both of those meanings kind of have this connotation of loving with, without hypocrisy. Not being fake in how you love. Being genuine. Because if there's one thing that turns people off in this day and age, it's not being real or it's not being genuine when you do something, when you do anything, especially relating to someone else, especially loving them. It's kind of why, um, you know that Christianese phrase, uh, I I don't like them, but I love them in the Lord. Have you heard that? Maybe some of you have even said it or you've thought them. I don't like them, but I love them in the Lord. Do you know what that phrase actually means? That Christianese phrase actually means I don't like them, but I love them? It means you hate their guts, okay? That's, re- that's really what that means, okay? That's where it gets to. And that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying genuinely love them. And it's funny because this passage that he starts out by talking about love, he, in the very next word, in the very next sentence, says hate or abhor is what it says in the ESV. It says, let love be genuine, but hate or abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. There's only one thing that a loving person hates, and that's the evil that causes us to hate one another. We hate that kind of evil in our lives because evil hurts people. It destroys people. It it damages people. And unfortunately, hurt people hurt people. As you go through your day, today, this whole entire week, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a work associate, whether it be a close family member, if they are hurting you, it's probably because others have hurt them. Not to give an excuse of it, 
but go deeper into what maybe they're feeling. Hurt people hurt people. It's cyclic, cyclical of how that happens over and over again. And so you stand up and be the one to say, that's not going to come. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to continue to be hurt by this person. In fact, I'm going to show them love because it's evil. Evil is what brings about that hate and that hurt in life. So Paul says, hate that kind of evil, but love the person and love them sincerely. Even if it means clinging to or holding on to just one good thing in their lives. You know, oftentimes it's it's hardest to love the people who are closest to us. Because those are the ones that we um, kind of dwell upon what's wrong with their lives. Or we can, um, you know, think about the things we'd like to change about their lives. It's the people who are closest that it's hard to do this with. I've learned this lesson from, from my wife. Well, actually, I haven't learned it, but she has taught me this in such a great way. She has said that, you know, when I do something that maybe isn't very loving or isn't very polished, she'll say that she sees the good intentions in my heart. Wives, do that for your husbands. Do that for, for the men in your life. I mean, this, this couple days ago was a direct example of this. Our, our family was down to Mexico for the mission trip for about four or five days. And so we didn't do a very good job. I didn't do a very good job of putting together some birthday gifts. Uh, and my wife's birthday was on Friday. And, um, and so, uh, you know, we, we kind of came at this with, uh, hey, here's a gift certificate for a CD that we're going to buy for you, you know, and kind of did one of those. And then, and then I did this, like, this book. I wrapped up this book, and I put a post-it note on the book and said, imagine this being the book that you want it to be. Um, <laughs> as soon as we order it uh, um, from online, and as soon as you help me order it online— um, and, and so, you know, it's one of those things that she kind of laughed off. Uh, and then she, she could see the intentions of my heart. She can see the intentions of our family that, hey, we, we, we do want to do this right. We, we, we just didn't get there. And then I got totally blessed by Father's Day, and they gave me all these gifts. And I felt ultra stupid in that because, you know, I didn't think ahead on my own. But Paul says cling, even if it's the intentions of someone's heart, even if you can see it within them, cling to one thing that is good about them. So he says, be genuine in that. See the good in others. And then he goes on to say, be loyal in verse 10. He says, be loyal. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Again, love one another with brotherly affection. You know, many of us are familiar with the three types of love that are used in Scripture. There's the eros or eros. That's the sexual love that Scripture identifies. And then there's the agape kind of love, which is the unconditional sacrificial love that is in Scripture. And then there's also the phileo, which is the brotherly love. And yet it's interesting that this word that's used here for brotherly love is a unique term that is only used here. In fact, it's the only time that's used in the Bible which describes a family type of love. And that could be um, with, with the connotation of a biological family, or it could also mean of a spiritual family. 
which, you know, in this day and age, loyalty is, is, is very rare, where we are very transient, maybe move from culture or society to society, move from town to town. Many, in fact, have moved away from biological family members and maybe now live um, uh, in areas where they're not very close to their biological family, but they will say that they're closer to their spiritual family. That's why it's so important, I think, to connect as a church family, whether it be in a community group, whether it be in a Sunday school class or Wednesday night electives or something beyond this or even in our cafe of sorts, of finding others who you can connect with because then you can grow spiritual bonds and spiritual roots with them that are so needed. And so Paul's talking about love each other with that kind of a love. And so on a day like today, Father's Day, where perhaps many aren't close to the biological families, let, let me ask you this. Think of a person who you really care for. It it could be a biological father, or it could be a spiritual father in your life, or it could be a a biological family member, or it could be a, a spiritual family member that you would consider very close. But think of someone who you are devoted to, someone who you are loyal to in this way. You love with a brotherly love. Let me ask you this question. Do they know you love them? like that? Do they know that you are loyal to them? Do they know that that you think of them in that way? My challenge this week to you is to tell them that. Sometime this week, in some way, tell them how much they mean to you. Maybe even today. And you know, it, it could be your biological father. Boy, dads, sometimes we need to be pepped up with this. We, we kind of get beat down and pushed down by our culture and other things. Uh, men take a lot of grief on Father's Day. You know, we hear the stats. 90% of homeless and runaway kids don't have a father at home. 85% of uh, youth in prison don't have a father at home. In fact, in the correctional system, they'll often say that on Mother's Day, the phones are lit up with the inmates calling mom. But on Father's Day... Nobody goes near the phone. Don't have a phone call to make. Don't want to make a phone call. And often it's called fatherless day instead of father's day. That's hard. And and we can take a, a blow from culture on that. In fact, Winston Churchill even said this years and decades ago, the great leader of Great Britain. He said, um, even great men are often failures as fathers. Great men who want to accomplish a lot sometimes can overlook those who are closest to them and fail. And so you might have people who are great leaders in culture and society who are not very good as fathers. You might have others on the other end who maybe have never had examples themselves and don't do it very well as well. We need to be the people who step up and say, you know what, there are people in my life who I value. There are people who I'm loyal to and I want to bless. And so let me, let me kind of turn the tables for just a second because I don't want to focus on the negative stats. Let me, let me share some positive stats with you. Focus on the family. Share these uh, a number of years ago. Uh, stats came out that they had found was that if a, children, if, a, if a child, if a child was the first one in their household to become a Christian, that there's a 3.5% probability that everyone in the Household will at one time follow them and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Three and a half percent. If a mother, on the other hand, is the first one in the household to receive Christ, then the stats go up to 17% chance probability that everyone else in the household 
will at some point receive Christ in their life. However, listen to this. If it's a father, the stats go up to 93%. 93%. Fathers who receive Christ in their own lives, 93% probability that everyone in their household at some time or another will follow Christ. Men, you are tremendous influencers. You can be tremendous influencers. And if you're someone here today and you had a godly father like that, first of all, thank God, but then also thank your father. If they are still living, thank them somehow in some way to say, thank you for leading me in the right way. And if you did not have that, or even if you did, vow today to be that kind of a dad, to be that kind of a father, to make an impact on other people's lives. And share that. Because that's why I'm so thrilled to hear what our chaplains did and our police department did of bringing these kids in who don't have fathers in their lives. They, they, on their flyer, they said, we're wanting to reach um, households with, who are led by single moms. We're wanting to help come alongside them and be with their children and bless them. And boy, they will see such results from that already, obviously, those 30, 30 of them saying yes. I want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and now needing to be discipled. And on their flyer as well, this, this was what really excited me. They said they're pairing up mentors with these young men and trying to help them know what it means to be a man, not only a man, but a godly man. That's what we need in our culture. That's what we need in our day. And so Paul talks about that. He says, love one another as family, as brotherly affection. Outdo showing one another love and honor. And then he goes on in verse 11, and he says, Be enthusiastic. Next, fill in on your outline. Be enthusiastic. He says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That word fervent, it brings with it this connotation of, of spiritually boiling. Not, not just tepid. Don't, don't be lukewarm. We see that in John. John talks about this in the book of Revelation where he says God's disdain for those who are lukewarm. Remember what it says about the lukewarm Christian? They'll be spewed out of their mouth, right? I mean, I mean seriously, what is good lukewarm? Tell me one thing. That's good. Pepsi, is it good lukewarm? Coffee, right? Soup, nothing is good lukewarm. It's a little bit like a, a, a dead fish handshake. You ever shaking someone's hand and it just feels like there's a dead fish in your hand, right? I mean, that should be outlawed in this church. No greeters should ever be greeted with a dead fish handshake. Shouldn't do it to each other either. We'll put you in spiritual jail if you, if you do one of those, all right? Not here. Be, be fervent. Be, be spiritually boiling. Be, be energetic with a spiritual fervor. Now I realize we're not talking about, you know, just being a spitfire all over the place. That's not what we're suggesting. I, I think about Mother Teresa. And how she was so dedicated with fervor and enthusiasm and joy when she served the Lord in the slums of Calcutta amongst the despised and the desolate and the forgotten. She was asked one time, how does she do that? How does she keep her spiritual fervor? She said this. She said, I do my work for the Lord, with the Lord, and to the Lord. That's who I do it for. It's not for others. It's for the Lord. Because he's watching. And he sees me when I do that. 
It reminded me of the verse out of Colossians 3.23 that if you're in a workplace, you should have this at your desk or your cubby or your cubicle, wherever it is. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Because men aren't always going to see it. And men and women, they're going to disappoint you. They won't react to it the way God will. And know that He is watching. And we do it as though we're doing it to Him. That's why, you know, we um, experienced this on our mission trip. Thank you for praying for us, my family. And I traveled down there last Sunday. We had 31 people on the mission field in Tecate, uh, Mexico, on the Mikasa Orphanage. Um, we were assisted by six interns here from First Baptist that are led um, by Ray Martin, who's our young adult uh, ministry coordinator down there, and his family. They're there for a month with these six interns. They helped a mission team go down there uh, a week before we got there with our 31, a group of 15 from one of our community groups, which I highly highly encourage if you get into one of our community groups to begin to serve together whether it's here in a park whether it's during the SOS day whether it's serving here on our campus or going all the way down to Mexico and serving together we had 15 from a a community group come together and said we want to serve together and so they went down there for a week and then our families went down there for a week and then this next week there's going to be around 40 of our youth from our exodus group go down and serve there as well that that orphanage right now is running with our interns from our church who are serving with enthusiasm. In fact, it was great to see the way they served. They would grab our bags out of our vans and they'd take them to the places that we were saving, I mean, all, there, or to, that we were serving from and, and sleeping. It was almost as though they were saying, let's make this the best stop that we can have so that then you can go serve, so that you can concentrate on some other things. They would cook in the kitchen. They were so servant-minded, working for the Lord. In fact, the verse here comes to mind. Outdo one another in showing honor. I would hope we would be that kind of a church as well. We would be outdoing one another, honoring the Lord, working for the Lord. Because honestly, down there in that orphanage, we are not just building an orphanage. What they're doing down there, especially this summer with these interns, they're, they're building people. They're building young leaders who will lead in churches. They're building and showing young men and women how to be godly husbands and wives and families and mothers and fathers. That's what we're doing. We're building young people. That's why we invite our Exodus group to come up here and lead us in worship. We're showing them. They're they're modeling how to worship. And you know what? I don't even say they're the generation to come. They're the next generation. They're already here. They're already doing it. That group in Exodus, they lead our Exodus group every week in worship. They can lead us as well. That's what we want. We want building people, showing that kind of love, being enthusiastic, having a fervor about us. And then it was fun for me to come back and Friday to be here on campus and to realize while we had a whole team down there in Mexico serving, you come back onto this campus and you see there's a whole basketball clinic going on, sharing basketball skills and the love of Christ in the midst of that. There's a whole a cheerleading clinic going on um, taking place. There was a first and second grade, kind of younger division um, of kids at a day camp. First Baptist Christian School was having a day camp here as well. And then in the evening times, the PD and the chaplains come together with, with those kids and they spent the night here and working with them, preparing for the car show on the campus. And then to realize even not even on our campus are dozens of small groups, community groups that are meeting in homes, some meeting in restaurants to study God's Word. And I thought, you know, what a model. 
Does it say we study God's word, but we don't just take it in. We have outreach. And that's what this week really was. And the week before with the VBS, that's an outreach into our community to say we have an awesome, awesome God. And you can see that on the front of your bulletin where we help people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. We do it through the know, the grow, the serve, and the share. That's demonstrated on our campus. That's demonstrated in our homes. It's demonstrated in the city of Stockton. Demonstrated all the way down to Mexico. I don't care where you are, wherever you are flying to, wherever you are traveling to this summer. Know that you're going and you're taking the Spirit of Christ with you. The joy of First Baptist. I pray that you will know that, experience that, and model that. Look what it says again in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Those are just a tiny fraction of the things that you're giving does around here. It's allowing us to do that kind of outreach into our community. And you look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek and show hospitality. That's what we want to be in our homes, in our churches. And I think about even that hospitality that we show for one another. We are so excited what's going to take place here in the fall time. I hope already. In fact, Susie is already out there with a table preparing the groups that we're going to get to into the fall, studying God's word, being hospitable to one another. I've often called them laboratories of love, where we demonstrate how we love one another in those groups and make a difference in our communities, not even just here on our campus. I I hope you'll be a part of things in the fall. Paul then goes on in verse 14, and he says, be affirming. Be affirming as well. In fact, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The word there, bless, has this thought of speak well of. Speak well of others. You know, it's kind of hard because in this day and age, we, we, we like to get the zingers in, right? We like to kind of, kind of, kind of zap people or we diss them or we, or we kind of put them in their place. We, we put them down sometimes with the words that we say. I remember hearing Winston Churchill, again, that great leader of Great Britain, uh, a number of decades ago when he was in leadership and there was a woman who was gathering with him and meeting with him, challenging him on some of his policies that he had with the country. And she just looked at him at one point. She said, you must be drunk, If that's what you think, you must be drunk. Winston Churchill looked back and said, Well, in the morning, I will be sober. But in the morning, madame, you will still be ugly. (laughs) Maybe he spoke truth. Wasn't done in love. Maybe truth. But that's not what Paul's getting at. He's saying, no, bless others. Be affirming of them. And and Paul then goes with this verse 14. And he shows us now for the rest of this passage of ways that this is expanded and explained of how to love those even though they hate you. Even though they don't like you. What he says is this, and it's on the back of your outline. He says, overcome evil with good. Overcome the evil in your lives with good. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, verse 18 is a verse that we all need to hear and put into practice. In fact, I have counseled many people um, who I'm convinced that when they read this verse 18, 
they sleep much better at night. Because many people will see kind of these mandates that Paul gives and even Jesus gives in Scripture, and they'll come to me and say, but you know what, Pastor Brad, I'm still at odds with my brother or with my parents or with a cousin or a work associate or a neighbor or whatever it may be. And then I'll ask them, okay, what have you done to show love or to try and keep the peace in that relationship? And we'll talk about some things, and and many times there's more that they could do, but many times I, I hear what they've done, and I'll say, Let, let's look at this passage in Romans twelve eighteen, And let me read it to you again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you have done what you can do, then you need to step back and say, it's not my problem anymore. And realize that some people just like to sit in their stink. Okay? They, they, they just like to, unfortunately, get in the barnyard and that pig pen can be an inviting place for them to wallow and for other people to wallow as well. But you don't have to be the one to wallow with them. You do what you can do. And do it in love. And do it in great grace. And continue to give them grace. But then when you have done what you can do, you don't need to take their problems on. You don't need to internalize maybe the dysfunction that they want to continue to wallow in. You set your boundaries. You continue to love them. But you can sleep well at night because you have done what you can do to live peaceably with others. And before God, in a good conscience, you say, Lord, if there's more that I can do, you put that upon my heart. But if there's not, then I'm just going to allow them to be who they are. Paul goes on, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, he goes on then in verse 20 and says, Now to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You kind of scratch your head and say, Okay, I'm not sure what that means. Well, there was an ancient practice of the Egyptians, that they had this tradition whereby a person would carry a pan of burning coals on their head as a public act of repentance. And I'm not sure if that's what Paul was getting at, but I do know that what he's referring to here is to show kindness. And when you show kindness to others, that will introduce them to their own guilt and to their own shame. Because the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make them a friend. Is to make them someone who you pray for. It's hard. It's hard to hate someone you're praying for. And so commit to praying for them. And seeing what God does in your heart, maybe even seeing what God does in their heart as well. In fact, here's the bottom line. I wrote at the bottom. Bottom line is this. Love like Jesus loves me. Love people like Jesus loves us. That's what Paul's really getting down to. Who as he hung on the cross said, Father, forgive them. You know, Wednesday this past week was another dark day in the um, United States. Young man going into a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, sat in a prayer meeting for a few minutes in a Bible study that they have, and then shot and killed nine church members, including the pastor, who, by the way, was also a state senator. We, we, we've seen the news. We've read the newspaper articles and such. It brings up hate and the desire for revenge in every way. 
But what is amazing is the response of that church and the family members that are now coming out that we have to know that pastor had to have preached this passage. We have to know that that pastor had to have taught this kind of a passage. This is not just theoretical. In fact, in yesterday's paper in the Stockton Record, it says, uh, no room for hate. And has that pastor's picture who was killed and then eight other members of the church who was killed. And, and let me just read to you what is now being communicated about this tragedy. And you in your own mind can make, can make the connections with Ferguson and Baltimore of what's gone on in those communities when we've seen wrongs. Here, here's what has been read and done in the courts already. It says, Charlton's victims' families... Forgive the suspect in court. He says they forgave him. They advised him to repent for his sins. They asked for God's mercy on his soul. Even one told Dylan Storm Roof to repent and confess, and you'll be okay, they said. Relatives of the nine people shot down during a Bible study session inside their historic black church confronted the 21-year-old suspect Friday during his initial hearing in court. They described their pain and anger, but they also spoke in love. It says, I forgive you. My family forgives you, said Anthony Thompson, whose relative Myra Thompson was killed. goes on to say, we would like to take this opportunity to ask you to repent. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. It says, a police affidavit released Friday accused Roof of shooting all nine multiple times and making a racially inflammatory statement as he stood over an unnamed survivor. But the families are determined not to respond in kind. <clears throat> said Alana Smith, who lost her grandfather, the Reverend Daniel Simmons. <clears throat> Excuse me. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of this hate, this is proof, she said. This is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof. They lived in love, and their legacies will live in love. So hate won't win, she said. <clears throat> she went on to say I just want to thank the court for making sure that hate doesn't win and obviously they were in court but obviously they know the truth and that is God has stepped into this story and God has said vengeance is not for you vengeance is for me I will deal with them as I see fit and truth be known, many of us might read that passage, even think of that young boy, and we might think, well, he just needs to go to hell. That's where he belongs. In fact, I was in a store this last week, and I was in there, and a little old lady, probably in her 80s, I heard her say, they should just take him out and shoot him. Don't even take him through court. And I thought, no. These families are modeling love. God's grace, he still went to the cross for this young man. And we as a church need to pray, just as I know many churches across this country are, just as I'm sure that church is gathering even this morning and praying for this young man. Because of the words that we read right here, beloved, hear this, Paul writing this thousands of years ago, 
lived out this week. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. And ends by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. With good. Now, we see stories like this, and we can applaud them because those are major, major steps in people's lives. And again, compare that to what has happened in Ferguson. Compare that to what has happened in Baltimore. And, and, and I pray that this country sees that this has happened in a church where God did not want this to happen, but God can use this for his good. And I pray it's a model for people not just to be walked on, but to say, in the midst of this kind of thing, we forgive. But really, let's bring this down to us now. Because truthfully, in, in much of life, uh, these kind of big things don't happen to us. It's the little things that tear us down. It's the little things that get us. And so let me ask the question. Is there someone in your life who maybe you are struggling to forgive? Maybe revenge and hate have kind of seeped their way into your daily life. Revenge and hate are the world's worst emotions because what they do is they keep us facing backwards instead of forward. It's the reason Jesus went to the cross. Because he said, I will take this on so that you no longer have to. Because you will put yourself into a prison if you don't come to peace with people throughout, our, throughout your day. And that prison is not where you need to be. I want you living in joy. I want you living in goodness. I want you living in peace. I want you living in love. You come to me. You give those to me. I will take care of them. I pray we're people who can do that. And so I'm going to end just this message a little differently than I have many of them because, because the message is over, but um, it's not done. As we think of the stories, we think of forgiveness in this, let me just ask you a few questions. As you think of the forgiveness that, that we're experiencing and seeing here by some Christians in the South, is that what people think of when they think of Christians? Ask yourself that, out here in the West even. Is that what people think of when they think of Christians? Forgiving, loving, trying to extend peace, trying to make peace. Making it even more personal, let me ask you this. Is that what people think of when they think of you? If they know you're a Christian, a Christ follower, if they know you attend First Baptist Church, is that how they think of you? I would hope so. I would hope so. And so what I want to challenge you with is this week... Looking over this list, four points on the front, a couple on the back, and making a vow to just take one of those, just one, and take steps in what God wants you to do in that area. Could be the area of being genuine, being loyal, enthusiastic, affirming, overcoming evil with good, loving like Jesus. I, I don't care which one it is. Hone in on one. Allow God's Spirit to speak to you and allow Him to show you how you can be more Christ-like in that area. I pray you when you come next week, you'll be more like Jesus as we love each other, as we care for one another, as we care for this world who needs to see that example in us. Let's pray. God, I pray over this congregation that we might be a light in the midst of darkness, 
that we might be, as many of these families in South Carolina are showing across the nation, a forgiving people, a loving people, a people who confront wrong, who confront evil, but we do it in love, we do it in grace, we do it in truth. And God, if we're not able to do that humanly, which we can't, I pray that we will realize we can only do it through your love for us. Because God, every sin we have done has been a slap in your face. Every evil that we have done, we define it, you define it as sin. May it be huge, may it be small in our scale. God, it is still a part of the nails that put you to the cross. And so, Lord, we ask for forgiveness of you. And we have seen that over and over and over and over in Scripture where you forgive us through the blood of Jesus Christ, where you forgive us because of what Jesus did for us. And then, Lord, you ask us, have that kind of same love, have that same kind of forgiveness for others. God, we want to model that. May you mold us, may you shape us, may you break us. May you make us more like your son, Jesus. May we love as Jesus loves. Folks, if today you um, are struggling with some of those issues, I'll be down here at the front. You can come down there in this last song. You can come down at the end of the service. If you want to just pray, if you want to just be at this altar and share some time with the Lord, seeking his forgiveness, maybe even just seeking how you can take your next step and showing that forgiveness to others. Maybe it's been a father figure in your life. I don't know what it may be. But God, I pray. I pray that as we do business with you, as we sing about your amazing grace that is off the charts, that we would realize that grace is given to us and you ask us to give it to others. We're here to be more like you and even as we worship you now, may we become more like that. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.